Hello, listeners and fellow explorers. This is Living in the Sprawl's lovely and talented producer slash fiance, Lisa Lowe. I wanted to thank all of you for your constant support of the show. As a new podcast on the scene, the number one way to support the show is to rate, review, and share this podcast with everyone you know. Many of you have been doing this and it has helped immensely. You can also check out our website and the show notes for other ways to support the show. We have new merch on our website, and we are working with companies that we currently use ourselves to get discount codes for our listeners and support the research and work we do for the show in the process. These companies include Every Table Meal Delivery Service, which offers delicious, cost-effective meals delivered straight to your door. Just CBD Store, which offers great-tasting CBD-only gummies in a variety of flavors, and Miss to Mrs. Boxes for Brides-to-Be. My sister Jennifer surprised me with this box when I got engaged, and it was the most perfect, thoughtful gift. You can also support us on Patreon and Podfan. Please check out the website at livinginthesprawlpodcast.com for updates on companies we are working with, our testimonies, links, codes, and new Living in the Sprawl merchandise. Again, thank you to all of you, our lovely listeners, for tuning in every week and allowing us to do what we love. Without further ado... Your humble correspondent, John Steinberg. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Living in the Sprawl, Southern California's most adventurous podcast. I am, as always, your humble correspondent and host. My name is John Steinberg, and I am joined by my, and I'm so excited to be able to say this out loud to our dear, wonderful listeners, my dear wife slash producer, Lisa Steinberg. We haven't recorded in a couple of weeks. We are spent enjoying the fruits of our recent nuptials. But very excited to be back at the recording desk to bring you yet another exploration into the amazing, vast, sprawling extent of our beloved Southern California. So this week, we're going to focus on a part of the state, a part of the sprawl, that we haven't spent a great deal of time in thus far. It's a place that interested me location I found so intriguing that I decided to spend my bachelor party weekend within its confines. Nope, not talking about Las Vegas, not referring to Lake Havasu or any traditional bachelor party locales. No, 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 no. Dear listeners, I am referring to Death Valley National Park where I had the great fortune of recently spending a wonderful weekend before Lisa and I officially tied the knot. And I want to tell you about some of the wonderful places that I had a chance to check out for myself so as to better arm you with an itinerary for your trip. Maybe it's a bachelor party, maybe it's just a weekend in the winter going to Death Valley National Park. Death Valley got its name in the 19th century when a group of prospectors, because of course, got lost on a shortcut looking for places to mine for gold. In their pretty scary time, before figuring out, okay, this is how we leave, this is how we kind of get to safety where there's water and etc. etc. The locale had really done a number on this group of prospectors. 
And when the group finally found safety and security, as they were leaving, a party member called out, Goodbye, Death Valley. And so it went. A number of decades have come and gone since the initial naming of the valley. And with that, the region has experienced notable booms and busts as it has chiefly been a place to import borax from. It's developed a reputation, decidedly earned, and it has intrigued millions upon millions of curious travelers and business people as it has grown within the American consciousness. There's really no place like Death Valley that I've ever experienced, and that's why... Here today, on a post-wedding episode of Living in the Sprawl, we bring to you the 10 must-experience spots to place atop your Death Valley National Park itinerary. And we're going to start at 10 with the Oasis Resort at Death Valley. Originally, this hotel began its life cycle as a spot where those in the borax trade could rest their weary heads. We're talking the 1920s was when the resort was first established. And of course, it was nowhere near the level of a quote-unquote resort in the 1920s. But as interest in the area grew and more people found themselves exploring the region the hotel really came into shape. Located at Furnace Creek, which is most popularly known for, and they love to tell you about this, having the Earth's hottest recorded temperature on record, 134 degrees in the year of our Lord, 1913. Thankfully, it hasn't gotten to that temperature since, but Furnace Creek, where the oasis is located, they have a multitude of keepsakes, tchotchkes, different items you can buy that remind you, hey, guess what? 134 degrees, hottest temperature on the planet Earth. It happened here. And you're going to need a spot to settle down for your exploration. And this is really the best option. Although there is going to be another hotel mentioned a little bit later on in this episode. Now, the first thing you are going to notice is these are high prices, okay? Reminiscent of what you might receive upon a romantic voyage to the island of Hawaii. I'm not talking five, six dollar gas prices. I'm talking nine and a half dollar gas prices here. Steaks that will run you 70 plus dollars. But you know what? The options are limited and this is your best one. You can play golf here. There's a terrific burger spot called the 19th Hole at the conclusion of the aforementioned golf course. The Borax Museum is located here. And there are two levels of property space to maximize your Death Valley experience. A couple of restaurants other than the 19th Hole exist. Again, don't let the prices throw you off. I'm just telling you, they're going to be high. And your eyebrows are going to be raised when you see them. But if you are looking for the best version of a Death Valley experience, you're going to need a place to set your bags down 
and get at least seven hours of sleep a night. And the place to do this is definitely at the Oasis at Death Valley. So that's where our adventure begins at number 10. And number nine, Telescope Peak. This is the highest point within Death Valley National Park. Ascending skyward roughly 11,000 feet, Telescope Peak offers dramatic vistas, the likes of which simply don't exist this side of the Grand Canyon. From the tippy top of Telescope Peak, you can stare down into Badwater Basin, which is the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere. And it's at this juxtaposition where we arrive at the greatest contrast between extremes. Think 282 feet below sea level versus 11,000 feet into the air. Really no place like it. The views are stunning, second to none. And it's a great way to kick off any Death Valley-related itinerary. It's Telescope Peak, 11,000 feet into the sky. At number eight, let's venture out a little bit more into this national park. Let's stop for a moment at the Mesquite Sand Dunes. For those of you that have never experienced sand dunes, this would be a terrific entry point. These almost makeshift sand sculptures that line the sand dunes are truly a sight to behold. Nearby, you'll find one of the most interesting gas station situations I've ever experienced in my life, where you can stock up on snacks and beverages for your excursion. This picture-perfect set of sand dunes is so gorgeous... It's not going to make you forget the existence of the Pacific Ocean, but it will make you think twice about ranking the beach ahead of the desert. Sand dunes exist all throughout the desert. I had the privilege of attending college in the state of Arizona. I've been around a number of sand dunes in my life, but never quite like this. The organic, intrinsic formations that have come to exist with aid of sand deposits here, are nothing short of breathtaking. Proving, once again, Mother Nature does ultimately reign supreme. For a singular sand dunes experience, you must, I repeat must, stop for a moment to reflect at the Mesquite Sand Dunes. And number seven, Barker Ranch. A little bit different from the other places that we are choosing to highlight on this episode, Barker Ranch is famous because it is where the Manson family retreated in the wake of the Tate LaBianca slayings in August of 1969. It shouldn't shock our wonderful Sprawl listeners to know that it was important to me to be able to see Barker Ranch with my own eyes. And in order to get there, it required uh, quite a bit of time spent in the car, number one, and a great deal of patience and belief. I'll explain. This is one of the more treacherous side trips that I've ever undertaken, at a number of points throughout this side trip, 
my pals and I contemplated stopping and turning back. But we said, look, if the Manson family made it work, we can make it out there. And you can too. Just know that any trek out to Barker Ranch is going to require an extremely strong set of tires and hopefully an automobile with four-wheel drive. Charles Manson told his followers that it was somewhere in the nearby vicinity that there existed this spot where followers could wait for Helter Skelter to take place safely hid somewhere underneath Barker Ranch in quote-unquote the Earth's core where they could bide their time as the results of Helter Skelter were to play out. And then following that, they would emerge as the titans of the remaining members of Population Earth. This, of course, is insane and the product of hundreds, if not thousands, of acid trips. But Barker Ranch very much exists. It was a compound which belonged to a follower's grandmother, who I don't think really understood what her granddaughter and her granddaughter's friends intended to do with the property. Members of the FBI raided Barker Ranch in 1969, where they took cult followers into custody. And as they surveyed the grounds... Members of the FBI stumbled upon a couple of worse-for-wear appearing female members of the Manson family. When they asked these members what they were doing out in basically the middle of nowhere, they were told, we're out here selling Girl Scout cookies. That is an anecdote no one could possibly make up and have you believe it if it hadn't actually taken place. For those morbidly curious, with a fascination, with the macabre that your humble correspondent and host definitely shares, number seven, Barker Ranch. Number six, the ghost town of Ballarat. In order to get to Barker Ranch, you will find yourself traveling through the once thriving town of Ballarat. We're going to do a special Ghost Town exclusive episode at some point down the road, but I wanted to highlight Ballarat on this installment as it really helps to strengthen any Death Valley experience. There are a multitude of abandoned mines, abandoned campgrounds. There's a lot of abandoned things within the grounds of Death Valley National Park, but the town of Ballarat is maybe the most impressive. Originally established in 1897, Ballarat played host to a cornucopia of, when you know it, prospectors, people looking to get rich via the gold trade. At its height, the town had a population of 500, not 1,000, no, 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 just 500 residents, but also seven saloons, five hotels, a sporting house, and a number of colorful characters. When you read about Ballarat, you're going to read about this period between 1897 and 1905. So the thriving town, all of the thriving happened within a period of eight years. And after this, prospectors, customers, 
And those colorful members of society took their business and lodging needs elsewhere. As of this recording, the town includes a general store and not a heck of a lot else other than obvious remnants of this once thriving period. Again, it lasted eight years. The general store has items that I haven't actually seen in person in quite some time. You can get your cactus coolers there. I believe I saw a Fruitopia in the mix. It is a ghost town general store experience. And within this general store, there are some billboards that help teach visitors the history of Ballarat highlighting that illustrious eight-year period between the end of the 19th century and beginning of the 20th. But the town may also be familiar to some listeners as a spot from the film Easy Rider, where Wyatt, the Peter Fonda character, removes and discards his Rolex before he and Dennis Hopper embark upon their trek to the Big Easy, the city of New Orleans. It's a fun, strange, as is everything within Death Valley National Park spot and should definitely be a part of your Death Valley National Park itinerary. It is the ghost town of Ballarat. At number five, the Amargosa Hotel and Opera House. Not technically within Death Valley National Park, The Amargosa is located in the adjacent Death Valley Junction, a census-designated place with a population of under 10. But it's within Death Valley Junction that this treasure happens to exist. The Amargosa came on my radar after watching an episode of Ghost Adventures where the crew stop in and do their customary tests which I never truly understand what it is they're doing, but somehow, some way, they're able to, I guess, interact with the dead spirits that do inhabit the Amargosa. In any event, you can watch that episode for yourselves. This property was just a hotel and place where those in the borax trade would come on business trips. And in 1967, a woman by the name of Marta Bennett injected some much-needed new life into the grounds. She saw the property not as a tribute to a bygone era where borax trading dominated the region, but as a spot where she could ply her trade as a performer changing some pre-existing buildings into an opera house. Perhaps the country's most eccentric opera house. Before her passing and retirement from public performance in 2012, Marta Bennett spent over five decades entertaining guests, and sometimes no guests at all, with her singing, poetry, and theater work. There was an article published in the 1970s from some curious journalists who had ventured out to the Amargosa to check out one of Marta's shows for themselves. And they marveled at her commitment to performance when there was not a soul in the audience. 
You can stay the night at the Amargosa if you choose. Again, the place is definitely haunted. And you can check it out on screen as it was prominently featured as the Lost Highway Hotel in David Lynch's Mind Warp of a Film, 1997's Lost Highway, featuring the last performance on screen from Robert Blake. And of course, it would be David Lynch, and it would be Robert Blake, and there would be a Ghost Adventures episode that takes place at the Amargosa. It is that kind of place. It's not for the faint of heart, but definitely for those in search of the quirky and a little bit dark. It's the Amargosa Opera House and Hotel on our list. At number four, Rainbow Canyon, or as some like to call it, the Star Wars Canyon. This picturesque kaleidoscope of colors, and sometimes no colors at all, was famously captured on screen as Tatooine in the Star Wars franchise. And you have the ability to venture out to the very edge of Rainbow Canyon, where if you look down, if you don't already have a fear of heights, you'll develop one. Looking downward into the canyon, you'll notice a stream of colors as far as the eye can see, interwoven with dirt, sand, things that make the canyon appear like a planet in a galaxy far, far away. Sometimes used as a spot to test out aircraft, the canyon has been featured in other places that highlight its connection with the Edwards Air Force Base. Much of Star Wars was filmed within sound stages overseas. However, for diehard fans, and I know there are lots of them, checking out Rainbow Canyon, or as you may know it, Tatooine, is an integral part of the fan experience. Number four, Rainbow Canyon. At number three, the Artist Drive slash Artist Palette. This portion of the park is so named because oxidation has rendered miles and miles worth of rock formation to be colored in vibrant purples, reds, yellows, and greens. It's gorgeous. It definitely should not exist. And this portion of the park is relatively centrally located nearby Rainbow Canyon, the Father Crowley lookout point. There's a lot of things that you can kind of knock off the list, starting with the artist's drive and palette. It reminded me principally of the painted desert in Sedona, Arizona, as well as the petrified forest in that same part of the country. These make for tremendous Instagram pictures, Images that you would like to share with anyone and everyone that you love and care about. Letting them know, no, 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 no. I didn't go to Sedona this weekend. No, 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 no. I went to Death Valley. And amongst other things, this is what I saw. I got to see some genuine purple rocks, green rocks, red rocks, and yellow rocks. It's a can't miss for anyone in the area for any reason. 
It's the artist drive, artist palette on our list of the things you got to check out when you're in Death Valley. And number two, Devil's Golf Course. Those of you jumping the gun can go ahead and place your three woods back in the bag. Put away the nine irons and pitching wedges as this is not literally a golf course. It acquired its name by virtue of an appearance in the 1934 National Park Service's Guide to the Area, which called this stretch of the park probably a place where the devil might want to play golf. It's a lengthy stretch of territory outlined by salt deposits and jagged, dangerous edges and crossings. It looks like somebody's nightmare, one might say, but in a beautiful, only this can exist in the desert kind of way. Not a place to get in your daily five-mile jog, and it's not a spot where the most romantically inclined of our listeners would feign to propose to their beloved Devil's Golf Course is a wild, singular foray into the absolute strange. I found myself laughing while ambling around Devil's Golf Course. Even the most indestructible train, jetliner, or 757 wouldn't stand a chance versus the natural, jagged, vicious-looking outcroppings that appear within Devil's Golf Course. Beautiful and sublime. It cannot be missed. And we have arrived at our number one spot. And for me, the answer is quite simple. It has to be Bad Water Basin. Death Valley is a place littered with, for lack of a better word, dark imagery. We've already mentioned the Devil's Golf Course. There's a place called Hell's Gate. There's a lot of toying with the dark arts, if you will, while surveying Death Valley National Park. But Badwater Basin is the highlight. This is the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere. It's the second lowest point on planet Earth, only behind Laguna del Carbon in Argentina. We're talking 282 feet below sea level. It's strange, a little bit ominous to be honest, to think that there once existed a vibrant lake in a nearby canyon called Lake Manly. And as I mentioned at the outset of the episode, the utter contrast between Telescope Peak nearby, roughly 11,000 feet into the sky, and Badwater Basin, 282 feet below sea level, is the greatest contrast in the United States. And maybe it was why I wanted to come here to celebrate my bachelor party before pledging myself to a life with the woman that I would love forever and ever I wanted to see the most extreme place that I could get to by car. And it was here at Badwater Basin, a spot where if you bend down, placing your hands below you, you will grab a hold of salt deposits. And if you are so brave, obtuse, some might say disgusting, as to place one of them in your mouth, 
you'll notice it tastes exactly like table salt. Badwater Basin is the crown in the proverbial family jewels at Death Valley National Park. And that's going to do it for another episode of the program. We want to thank all of our outstanding listeners for supporting us. If you'd like to support the show, a couple of easy ways that you can do that. Hop on iTunes, leave us a five-star rating, push that like button. Those five-star ratings and kind reviews help to elevate the podcast, expose it to more listeners, and in general, they help us out a lot on the business end. Our Instagram handle is Living in the Sprawl Podcast. We invite you to reach out to us, write us an email with suggestions for show topics that you would like to hear discussed on forthcoming installments of the program. And you can pen us an email with any and all of your thoughts at livinginthesprawlpodcast at gmail.com. Want to tell you again about our fantastic website and all of our spectacular sponsors whose links you'll find on the website. If you buy through us, if you take advantage of some CBD deals or other deals that you find through links on our website, it definitely helps us out quite a bit. And we thank our sponsors dearly for their help and support. It's also on our website that you can access the Living in the Sprawl guide, a sort of cheat sheet that exists so you don't have to go back combing through old episodes of the show looking for that one specific recommendation for something to incorporate into a sprawl itinerary. And speaking of sprawl itineraries, we want to, again, advertise our concierge service. You give us 20 minutes and an idea of what you're looking for, and we will provide you with a splendid sprawl itinerary. And I must, again, mention, we have terrific merchandise on the website. Any and all of your Living in the Sprawl-related merch concerns are thoroughly addressed on the site. You're looking for mugs. We've got them there. Pens, magnets, if you want it and it's sprawl related, it's on our website. So on behalf of myself, your humble correspondent and host, I am John Steinberg, joined by my amazing, beautiful, talented, the Abbott to my Costello, the Chris Tucker to my Jackie Chan, the most lovely person on the planet, and I, of course, talking about my lovely and immensely talented producer slash wife, Lisa Lowe. Want to thank anyone and everyone, our dear, wonderful listeners, for listening again to another episode of Living in the Sprawl, Southern California's most adventurous podcast. Talk to you next time.